0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Loving Father, we we do praise you and thank you for the grace, just Lord, the the abundance of your grace today for us to to wake up, to have life, to to be recipients of your your new mercies that. Really, that flood us each and every new day. And for this, we are grateful, Father. But Lord, to, to consider, to gather, to hear the voice of your word in, in such simple commands. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would help us to see the, the depth of these commands, the, the impact of these commands, the goodness of these commands, the joy that is found in these commands. Because they relate always, first and foremost, to the glory of your Son and his intended work in our hearts to transform us down to the very basic relationships of life. So, Father, I pray that these truths, these commands, this exhortation today, Lord, would be as your word is intended to be, correcting, reproving, encouraging, edifying, equipping, and training us in our sojourn and in our daily sanctification, our daily maturation into the likeness of Christ so that he gets the glory, Father. That is our ultimate goal. That is our ultimate desire. And that the goodness of God would resonate in our lives and in our families and in our jobs and in the world to testify of you. So, Father, we we ask and we welcome, we invite your spirit to to teach us today, to equip us to anoint your word to have its desired effect and not return unto you void according to your promises. In Jesus' name, amen. We began to look last week at the relationships within the family within specifically the Christian family, as Paul is addressing those who are in the church at Colossae. And these words primarily and specifically apply to those of us in the church, but they do have application to those who are not yet joined in the church, and I will expand on that later. But initially giving attention to the wives and the husbands, as we saw I hope we saw, I hope we understand how Paul connects the relationship of life in these God-ordained human families to that even greater supreme relationship that we find in God's family, namely in that intimate relationship with Christ who defines and controls and impacts all others. And Paul used this qualifying expression, as is fitting in the Lord, or as it should be for those in the Lord, which distinctly identifies and enables the life and the vitality, the unity, the love, the joy, the submission, the harmony of any and for any believing wife and believing husband. So it's very necessary for us not just to remember, but to fully realize and experience that these are not, well, that these attitudinal exhortations intended for all Christian familial relationships are not some arbitrary code. They're not some esoteric principle based on a value of a person or some positional servitude nor some privilege of dominance absolutely not and and even though in the time and the context when this letter was written it was true that man was at the center of the home and the wife and the children were mere objects of ownership but what we need to come to radical terms with and understand is the Christ glory of these relationships, that it is only through the personal workings of his life and light, his presence, his power, are these divine marital relationships restored into their proper order and their proper harmony, that their daily function and their glory are only birthed and matured through that ongoing transforming work accomplished by Christ, his gospel, every aspect of the gospel being at work in the hearts and lives of the husband and wife, truly, obviously made effective by the Holy Spirit of God. Because I think you know that left in our natural state, even before many of us were saved, much of what we see in the world around us in in the marriage union, if they even call it that anymore, is it's become nothing more than this contractual obligation, this this legal way to satisfy these impulse demands of the flesh with with some benefit in some sense to gain a tax incentive or or even to gain that societal envy of a trophy partner. But the relational Expression of a marriage in this context will only be filled with with unrealistic expectations. Selfish demands for specific performance levels. And will look much like what we studied in verses 5 and 8 of what we are to put off. This is what marriage is like without Christ at its center. Without him as its glory, without him as its strength and, and its harmony. And as a result of him being the greatest treasure in the hearts of both marriage partners. The vices in verses 5 and 8 should not be even mentioned or seen among professing believers, husbands and wife in Christ. Now There are two powerful points I mentioned last time that Paul draws out for us in the proper order and the function of the Christian family. Remember, he's speaking to the church here, the church family. The first one, if, if it is true that by faith you believe and know that Christ has been exalted to the right end of his Father, if it's true that you are one with him, if it is true that you are therefore part of Christ's new creation, if he's your treasure and delight above your sin and this world, then Paul's point to us simply put was we need to live like this. Christ's life, his rule His sovereignty must pervade. He must be inevitably the color and the control in our lives, and our relationships, in marriage, in the family, and beyond. And he will. That is his promise if he is Lord and we are submitted to him. Second is that even though the household in Paul's time was slightly different than it is today, It's not completely different because it shows a man and woman's closest and most familiar relationships. It was the same then as it is today. And Paul takes it down to this most intimate level of our relationships because this is where the basic realities of life happen. This is where we experience the everyday, even the mundane to the magnificent in these habitual functions within the family. And given the changes and the transformations in the culture and the society around us, the greater rise more and more to lawlessness that we see, and knowing, being aware of our own propensity to be affected by this, even so very subtly, creeping into our own thoughts, our own attitudes, our own actions within our house, we need to hear clearly what Paul is saying that the light of the Lordship of Christ must be at work here. He must rule and own. It must be evident. It must be exercising. He must be exercising his sanctifying power. Or for us to claim him as Lord is meaningless. So let me state Paul's theme here to wives and husbands in a little bit different way. And this is actually true for any relationship within the church, but... For the husbands and wives, the Lord must be intentionally sought out to be at work in the heart. It must be an intentional seeking of the Lord to be at work in your heart and life. Because it will not happen in our natural, still, sinful, residing flesh. For the wives to show proper, willing submission to their husbands as their helpmate. Christ's Lordship in their lives must be living a vital reality. Likewise, husbands, in order for you to love your wives, to be the spiritual leader in your family, Christ's Lordship must be a living, vital reality in your own heart. And these Christocentric relationships must be in their proper active order for Paul's next two commands to have any meaning, to have any value, any impact, any joy, any life in the family with your children and as parents, both fathers and mothers, but specifically speaking to the fathers here, and how we are to raise and guide these precious gifts of God to us. Amen? So Colossians 3, verse 20. Children... Children, can I have your attention, please? This is for you. It's wonderful that the Lord God, through Paul, specifically wrote this for you to hear. So I I really want your attention right now for the next few minutes because I'm going to speak to you because I'm very concerned for your souls. There's a reason we don't segregate children. We don't send you out to a a children's church. It's very important for you to be here. This has been an expectation we see in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, that the children were involved with the family. And the reason is that you can see your family hearing and listening to the Word of God, and you can experience what happens with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit in the church setting. And I know it's sometimes difficult and hard to understand what we teach and preach here. It's sometimes difficult for the adults. But don't let that be an excuse. Don't let that tune you out. Listen intently. Because first and foremost, you are here for a reason. You are here by God's ordained event, his purpose. There is no randomness in the kingdom of God. Evolution does not have any say-so here. It is not survival of the fittest. And neither is it by luck that you are here. God divinely appointed You to be given to your parents, and for your parents to be so wonderfully blessed by receiving you into their lives. This is a blessed divine order of God, and that is intended by God that you be here to hear His word. Please understand, even as children, this isn't just for adults, not just for parents or grandparents, you're created in the image of God. Do you know what that means? That means he's given you a mind to understand. You can hear words. You can hear sentences. You can put thoughts together. You can communicate. You have emotions. You know what you understand and experience what love is, what anger is. And realize, too, you didn't determine who your parents would be, did you? And your parents didn't determine who you would be either. God alone did this. Purposefully did this. And as vast as the world and big as the world is of all the nations and countries, we could spend hours speculating on where you could have been born, what country, what conditions, what parents. God has appointed you to be here. And please realize here, too, that your parents invite you here each week to hear the truth of God's word. This is a very sacred time to come together. This is the voice of the Lord God of heaven written down for us to hear, for you, too, as well as your parents. And it's critical that we come, and it's important to your parents for you to come and hear this because their love for you desires that you hear truth and you know the truth that is found in Jesus Christ alone. And if you are here and if you're honest with yourself, you're striving for something. You're looking for something. Answers, meaning, what is this life about? Why am I here? Your soul is an eternal soul, and it is longing for eternity. It is wondering about eternity. And little ones, and I don't use that condescendingly, whatever your age, this is where you will find the comfort and the truth and the longing of your souls. Okay. So it doesn't matter if you're 5 years old, 10 years old, 16 years old, 18 years old. Anyone here still in their parents' home and under their parents' care, please continue to give me your attention. Because Paul is speaking to you today. He's speaking this command to you today very specifically. And here it is. Obey your parents in all things. This may be your worst nightmare to hear this. I hope and pray not. But Paul says to obey your parents in everything. Okay, and I'm going to give you reasons too. Some of you here, some of the children here may have made a profession of faith. Even though you may not have been baptized yet, you have heard the gospel the essence of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, that we are all sinners. I stand before you as a sinner. We are all born into this world as sinners, no matter what family you are from. But we stand here professing that God is holy, that he is just. And since he is holy and he is just, he will judge all of us for our sin. But our great hope, the good news, the gospel is that Jesus Christ stood in our place. He died for us. He bore the penalty that our sin that is within us deserves. And because of this, God commands us, another command, to repent and believe in Christ. And that means to change your mind and turn away from sin and turn to Christ. That is salvation. That is the intent of the gospel to bring you to that. So this is God's command for us to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and this this raises a very interesting question for you. If you have believed in Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have received his forgiveness, and his life, and you have now been made new. The question for you, children: How do you show this? How do you live this out? You're not old enough to raise money and go to the mission field. We we know that. That's okay. That desire is there. Don't don't quench that desire. We know you can't teach or preach yet. But how can you demonstrate? No no matter what your age is, how do you show this? Obey your parents. Very simple. Let me give you the reasons. Two main reasons. Stay with me. Two reasons why obeying your parents is so important, so necessary. First, as we said, it's a command from God. God's commands are good. They're good for us. You're to obey your parents first and foremost because they love you. If you are here with parents who are Christians who love the Lord, they love you with a great love. And this reason is for you to to obey them, for they care for you. They truly desire the best for you, which is to grow in the knowledge and grace of Christ, to be saved if you are not yet saved. But second... Please listen. Second, the other reason to obey your parents is they are smarter than you. They have been here for a lot longer than you have. They have experienced many things in life that you haven't experienced. And they want to share this knowledge, this wisdom with you to protect you, to guide you, and to correct you in love. Your parents have experienced so much more than you have in your brief time here on earth. And the Lord himself grants them great wisdom that they willingly, joyously, lovingly pass it along to you, even even despite their failures and their shortcomings and their own sinfulness. Children, obey your parents. Now, Paul gives us, he gives children... He gives you, the children, the reason why you're to do this. Here's the best reason of all. It pleases the Lord. It pleases the Lord, especially if you believe in Christ, if you've made a profession of faith, children. It pleases him because in obeying your parents, you are directly obeying God. If you disobey your parents, you are directly disobeying God. Even if you don't completely understand all the things taught and preached, either in Sunday school or from the pulpit, the best way to show your Lord, his lordship and to please him is to obey your parents. Remember, God established this proper order in the family, husbands, wives, children. And as I said, if you disobey your parents who are in Christ, you're directly disobeying Christ. If you dishonor your parents by saying things about them behind their backs, you're directly dishonoring God. This is the realm, when we talk about the lordship of Christ, this is the realm of his lordship in the family brought down even to the the children, to the child. And there are also with this two great promises for children. For the child who obeys their parents, who honors them with their their obedience. The first is, and this is a very comforting promise to you. You will know the Lord's will. This is doing his will. It is not only pleasing him, but it is doing his will. And this is for you throughout life until you are on your own. But there will always be an aspect of honoring your mother and father throughout life. the second promise of having a long life is having a long life prolonged and blessed by the Lord. Not only in this life, but especially in heaven. So the two promises of obeying your parents is you'll know that it's God's will, it'll please God, and that you have a promise of long life. There's some very serious warnings in Scripture about children who disregard parents' authority, who disobey their parents. Proverbs 30:17 talks about those who mock the father and scorn their mother. the birds of the air come and pluck out their eyes and eat their flesh. That is talking about a very severe judgment of a child who continues in rebellion and disobedience to their parents. In the Old Testament, children who made fun of their parents, who struck their parents, who talked evil of their parents, were put to death. But praise God, we are on this side of the cross of Christ where now we can receive his forgiveness and grace through what we just celebrated, his death and his blood. Now, the only limit, children, the only limit to your obedience is if a parent And I don't believe any parent here would do this. I pray, God, nothing of this ever happens. But if a parent demands a child to do something against God's word or his law, that child can disobey in obedience to the Lord. And for those children here who do do not yet profess a faith in Jesus Christ, who don't understand the gospel call to faith and repentance in Christ alone, just because you are here with your parents in this church, one, does not make you a Christian, and two, it does not make you void of this command. You are still called to obey your parents. So children, obedience is necessary. It is, it is vital to a long life. But true obedience that pleases God is from the heart, a heart that he has changed through his salvation, through his forgiveness and grace. And then it becomes joyful obedience, not begrudging, but joyful, willing to do that. Whatever your parents say, whatever the Lord says in his word, you're willing to do. So thank you for your attention. Talk to your parents about this afterwards if you like. Because there's a very good parallel passage in Ephesians. I'll read to you real quick. Paul says here, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is Ephesians 6. For this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. If I can give you a personal testimony I grew up despising my parents I grew up mocking them and not listening to their commands and when I was in high school I had all my plans in front of me Air Force Academy, F-15s I didn't care what anybody else said, I'm on my road to success I had many warnings from my mom Many warnings of of disobedience and spitefulness. And one evening, senior year in high school, getting ready to graduate, out with some friends, shooting some fireworks, one strategically guided bottle rocket found my left eye. I've been blinded ever since. I praise God for his mercy and his forgiveness. But I've lived with that for, I don't know how many years now with a reminder first of God's mercy and grace, but reminder of the warnings that God gives for disobedience when we don't honor our fathers and mothers. Amen. All right. Okay, brothers, fathers, verse 21. Fathers, fathers, Do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. And the verses counter it in Ephesians 6, 4. Paul also says there, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, Paul's focus on what I've called the, the reciprocity that we see in the marriage union It carries over now into the parental sphere between children and fathers. Paul specifically talking to fathers here, but the word that he used, pateras, can sometimes mean father and mother. But specifically here, he's talking to the fathers. And as children are commanded to obey their parents, so are fathers commanded not to exasperate, not to provoke to anger, or embitter their children and just as we saw in verse 19 where the husbands are are not to be harsh or embittered against their wives so here the fathers are not to treat their children as to so embitter them but there there is a difference in the word that Paul uses here for embitter or for exasperate erithezo is its only use in scripture in the new testament here but it has a much broader meaning. And and I've I've, stretched this out, and I'm going to read it through a couple times if you want to take notes or listen later. But this word for not exasperating or embittering your children, Arethizo says, to provoke or exasperate your child or any of your children is to treat them or raise them in a way that leads to deep-seated resentment that results in hostility or rebellious attitude. Let me read that again. Erethizo means to provoke or exasperate your child or any of your children is to treat them or raise them in a way that leads to deep-seated resentment that results in hostility or rebellious attitude. Paul emphasizes this point. With the rest of the verse, he, he uses a, what's called a negative purpose clause. And he says, so that they will not lose heart. This is the fullness of Arethizo. Or in other words, or simply put, so that they will not become discouraged. So that they are not aggravated to the point where they simply give up, attempting to try or please or even obey their parents. Losing heart is like being exasperated to the point of losing spirit and losing courage where the child becomes listless and discouraged, even indifferent, even despairing of trying to please their parents. What does this look like? This can happen when parents fail to train up the children and with the training provide the necessary discipline or correction. And if all of this is not done in a loving manner, there's imbalance, and this is exasperation sets in. But I want to give you some specific examples. I've got seven of them here, so fathers, pay attention. <laughs> and I've pulled these from other resources and from personal experiences, too, over the years. First one, please do not indulge your children. Proverbs twenty-two six tells us that Training up a child carries with it an essence of, of growth, of, of a maturing, of a compelling upward, and not through not, it, this is only through the means of encouraging and training and revealing truth in love and gentleness. But so very closely with this is the need for correction, for loving discipline in order to to keep them on that way of, of truth and of righteousness. And this, of course, must also be done in love, with that upward calling, as I said, that compelling call to growth, and knowledge, and understanding. Because we also know from Proverbs twenty-two that foolishness is bound, bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline, however, properly, lovingly fitted for them, in the right heart and attitude of love, and context of the correction will remove that foolishness from them. So teach them that these, these parameters, these rules, these laws of God are their friends and can be their very best friends. Don't fail this by indulging them. What I mean is don't give in to their every whim and wish, but be a guide, be an example in life and instruction. Susanna Wesley, which I'm sure most of the ladies here are familiar with, she raised 17 children. I cannot comprehend that, but 17 children. But she said, very good quote here, The parent who studies to subdue self-will in his child works together with God in the renewing and saving of a soul. The parent who indulges it does the devil's work. Makes religion impractical or impossible to practice, salvation unattainable, and does all that in him lies to damn his child, soul, and body forever. Powerful. So do not indulge them. Second, do not smother them or be overprotecting. Yes. Absolutely, they need guidance and concrete boundaries, but they must learn to make decisions on their own, commensurate with their maturity, of course. Their wills can be guided, but they're not to be demanded or controlled. Smothering them and being very overprotective can and does provoke them to rebellion a despairing that nothing they can ever do will ever please their parents or gain their trust. Psalm 103 says, It is good and right to entrust your children to the Lord's ultimate care, for they are a gift from him. Proverbs fourteen twenty six: In the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence, and his children will have refuge. The Lord has given us these precious gifts, and he is more than able to care for them in even greater measure. So do not, do not smother or overprotect them. The third one, oh, do not favor them one to another. We know the story of how Isaac favored Esau over Jacob, and Rebekah favored Jacob over Esau. We know how that turned out. Please don't compare your children with one another, even in the slightest way. Favoritism will invoke frustration and resentment toward one another. It it stirs up bitterness, but rather as bondservants, as slaves of Christ, teach the favor of God through Christ Jesus alone. Four, unrealistic expectations and goals. Expectations, yes, are good. Goals are good. They are needed, but not to overpressure or push them with unrealistic ones. Excessive pressure to achieve can virtually destroy any motivation to learn or zeal to gather knowledge or to grow in wisdom. With a constant drive for achievement after achievement after achievement without any recognition and evaluation of what it was accomplished, for the purpose of that goal will only foster discouragement and anger and listen to this fathers please do not seek to live out your aspirations through your children don't seek to satisfy your pride with your children there is a real danger to attempt to live vicariously through the lives of your children with unrealistic expectations especially ones that they cannot even live up to Amen to that one. Number five, do not dishearten them. Do not only let them hear what is wrong and never what is right. They'll become convinced they're incapable of ever doing anything that is right or good or pleasing. Encourage their determination to understanding. Encourage their determination to the truths and the confidence of God and his promises. And in every aspect of life in everyday events number six please please do not manipulate them what I mean is don't use love as a means of reward for their actions the obedience of a child must never be made the condition of parental love they behave in a certain way you love them when they don't you withhold it it's very important to let them know your love is constant Inasmuch as the Father's love is as constant and as sure and everlasting for us, let it be known to your children even in discipline and correction. Because, as as one commentator says, when the parent is obedient to their vocation of genuine love, the child's obedience may become like that of the Christian to God, a glad and loving response. Jeremiah 31.3, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Let your child see this through you to them. And finally, number seven, please don't ever abuse them. Discipline that is ever used as a means of some superior physical strength is not of the Lord. Neither is any form of anger in discipline. Discipline is a correcting, a, a reproving in love back to the right path. It is a, a gentle correction because Proverbs 3 says, for whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. Also take note, fathers, even our words can be verbal abuse. They can overwhelm our children to rebellion. One specific example: Sarcasm. Using whether it's irony or teasing, to mock, it will wreak havoc. It will invoke a demeaning spirit and cause a child to be severely timid. Proverbs 2025: 20, "A good word makes a heart glad. And pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and healing to the bones. So these are just seven examples, fathers and mothers, primarily to fathers, not to provoke your children. And the reason is, again, lest they become discouraged. Discouraged in life, discouraged in the family, discouraged in things of God. It is the call of the father and the mother to carefully and tenderly develop the young spirit in your child in the nurturing and the admonition of the Lord. Not, not crush them with harsh, mean treatment. There is a balance, just as, as one commentator said so beautifully, just as the twig is bent with gentle caution and not broken off in any rude or hasty zeal the key to right proper discipline, the training up of a child and the correction, plus the instruction of the mind and the heart is it's being of the Lord. All that we as parents and I will ever, even as grandparents here, all that we do for the children is to be of him, of Christ, according to his word, under the guidance, the instruction and the power of his spirit and in his name and in his love for his honor. One final word, brothers. And I know I'm guilty of this too, so this is speaking to me as well. We at times can get these grandiose ideas, these great visions of ministry and what it means to be godly, what it means to be spiritual, but we can't can't see past the end of our nose sometimes. We need to be off in this ministry. We need to be out there doing this, engaged in this, giving all our time and energy for this. Let me qualify this. Ministry, service, involvement with others, yes, it is important. It is a bodily function of the church of Christ. But please do not lose sight of the force for the trees. We cannot, we dare not lose sight of what God has, God has placed right in front of us in our midst. Not lose sight of the lordship of Christ in our families. And our demonstration of the Lordship of Christ is, is in loving our wives and not provoking or exasperating our children. So let me ask you, do you want to live out the Lordship of Christ in the kingdom of Christ in your family? If so, take proper care after your family and all that God has called you to do there. And all of this will be seen and most manifest in our closest and most familiar relationships amen let's pray father thank you for the wealth of your commands the the depth of your instruction and father with it the grace through Jesus Christ that comes to us to to live to serve to shepherd to love to correct as fathers to children and and as mothers to children. And with our children, Father, may we be ever gentle and mindful of the love of Christ that has been demonstrated to us. But in that love, guide them and direct them into the truths of the gospel. And I know, Father, with much fervent prayers of many of the saints, of the families here for the salvation of these precious souls, Lord, may we see that in our time. May we experience in celebration and joy the calling of Christ to the souls of these young ones, Lord, that this next generation may be a cohort of Christian soldiers testifying of Christ and raising his banner high. And Father, help us as families to live in and seek out the Lordship, the life of Christ each day. And with all that you give us, Father, may we put it to use. May the work of our hands be blessed by you, to your glory, and for your name's sake we ask these things. In Jesus' name, amen.